0: Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for responding. I appreciate that. For those who I do not yet know, my name is Nick, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Vision, and today is a day where we get to step into the narrative of Exodus. On this journey, we're going to see kind of the struggle of freedom in the nation of Israel, but also it's going to bring to light our very own struggles as a people to walk in freedom. And so to start our time today, I'm going to start by reading a poem. The poem is called The Rose That Grew From Concrete. Did you hear about the rose that grew from a crack in the concrete? Proving nature's law is wrong, it learned to walk without having feet. Funny it seems, but by keeping its dreams, it learned to breathe fresh air. Long live the rose that grew from concrete when no one else ever cared. That poem was written by Tupac Shakur. And as I read that poem, it reminded me of the narrative of Exodus. See, there was a people, there was a rose, you could say, that were destined to flourish, but yet, because of the oppression of sin and slavery, the concrete, it had a lot of odds against it to flourish, But yet, because of the ruah, the breath of God, that fresh air called that rose to fully flourish in spite of the obstacles, we see that that rose that was planted actually came and it blossomed. And that's the story of the nation of Israel. Despite all circumstances, it still was able to flourish. And honestly, the narrative of Exodus reveals to us the narrative of our own lives because we... Without a king calling us out, we're stuck in the midst of our sin and slavery, but yet despite the odds, despite the oppression of sin, God calls us out to flourish, and God is still doing a work in allowing freedom to be tasted of and experienced by a people who are undeserving of it. And this story is going to pick up right where Genesis left off. We have spent some weeks going through Joe Knows, and we've seen through the story of Joseph that God is able to overcome all kinds of obstacles. He is present in the midst. And so where we find ourselves picking up in the story of Exodus is that these Israelites have moved from a place of favor to a place of oppression. And we're going to see over the next few weeks of how God continues to draw these people out, to draw them into himself. And we're also going to see that God keeps his promises, everybody. Despite the obstacles, despite what wilderness, despite what valleys we find ourselves in, God is able to keep his promises. And he's going to keep his promise to the nation of Israel that he promised to Abraham. And he's going to keep the promises to us as well. And we must understand that the journey to fulfillment of God's promises will always go through wilderness and valleys. Let me say that again, because I think many of us find ourselves in the wilderness and we're wondering, God, are you really working? Do you really know what you are doing? Do you really see me? Are you still a God who goes before me? Are you still a God who is with me? And are you still a God that hymns me up? God, I've been in this valley for so long. Are you still able to use this valley for your glory and for my good? And the answer to that question, which we're going to see through the lens of Exodus, is yes. God draws his people out of bondage and slavery to draw us into himself. And we're going to see that through the story of Exodus, but ultimately, it's the story of the gospel, And here's the thing about slavery. Here's what I believe. I believe that the most difficult part of slavery and bondage is not the rescue out of slavery, but the rescue from the slavery within us. Because we have been set free, and we are free indeed, but yet we continue to run back to shackles, and even though the gospel has unlocked them, we find ourselves placing those shackles back on ourselves, And so God's going to lead his people of Israel through a journey to not only take them out of the bondage of slavery, but to free them from the slavery that dwells within themselves, their own sin. And that is what he desires to do in us and through us. So the question you're going to have to wrestle with today, what bondage are you enslaved to that you don't believe that the keys of the gospel can unlock? What is something that you're going, God, I know you're able, but not here. God, I know you're good, but not here. And I pray that over the course of this journey together, that you will see that the keys to the gospel unlock whatever bondage we find ourselves in. So I invite you right where you are to pray with me. Dear Jesus, as we begin this journey through the story of a people leaving what entangled them and what held them captive to embracing and walking in freedom. May you reveal our own story through the pages of your scripture. Father, thank you for this journey that you are leading us on. I think it's timely for such a time as this. You have aligned us to look at the nation of Israel and how you worked and to know that you are still working and you are still inviting us to drink from Freedom's Cup. So, Father, may we drink... May we fix our eyes on you, and will you use your word, Lord, to allow our shackles to fall. And Lord, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. If you have your Bibles or whatever it is you read God's word on, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 1. And I encourage you to follow along and read alongside me. And the reason I encourage you to do that is because I want you to see that what I am saying is not just Nick's wisdom because I don't have anything to offer you outside of God and what he is doing. So also it'll give you opportunity to later on to go back and see what else the Lord is going to continue to reveal for you because his word is powerful, everybody. So Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. To put that in normal speak, those Israelites were having some babies, y'all. Just all the babies. They increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, We must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So this new king, he so desperately wanted to hold on to his power that he was willing to oppress a people to ensure that he could do so. He wanted to keep his small kingdom intact. And the way and the means in which he saw he could do that was through the impression of a people. And so he's holding on so tightly, but yet we're going to see that thing in which he held on so tightly to, is going to be ripped from his hands because freedom is not to be denied to anybody. Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. I love that line. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. In the midst of the valley, growth still happens. These people are being oppressed, but yet God is still multiplying. They are still flourishing, even though there is oppression that is happening. In the midst of the valley, growth still happens. We saw that in the story of Joseph. He was put in prison, but yet flourishing still happens. God is able to take even the most horrific of circumstances and still work those things out for the good. That is what kind of God we have. That is what kind of king sits on his throne. And even though they were plagued by slavery, God was still working and moving. I want you to think about it in your own lives. Think about a time that it was not a good time. It was a valley. It was hard. But yet God was still at work. And you were able to step back and look at his fingerprints, even though it was difficult and hard, even though you found yourself in the valley, there was still growth that was happening. We see that even as our own nation has walked through and struggled with the plague of slavery. In the midst of this people group being oppressed and enslaved, they got this hope of the gospel and they fixed their hope on that and they were reminded that if it was possible for the nation of Israel, then it was possible for them to experience freedom. Jesus invites all to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so that invitation was issued to them as well. Even though their circumstances didn't speak of a freedom, But they knew that a freedom was to come, and it came through the completed work of Jesus. So in the midst of sin and slavery that plagued our own nation, there was something that was born that was beautiful. As these slaves were reminded of this gospel, they would make songs to it. It was almost like marching orders to continue to stay in step and continue to walk towards freedom no matter what. And so gospel music was born. And in the midst of all that was broken and all the strife, this beautiful thing that displayed the gospel of Jesus was born in the midst of it. One of those songs that was birthed in that moment through what was going on was a song called Wade in the Water. Now, the church I grew up in, we still sang that song. And I'm not going to bless you with me singing it this morning. Maybe that's A blessing for another day, but I do want us to examine the words of one of the first gospel songs. It says this Wade in the water, wade in the water, children. Wade in the water, God's gonna trouble the water. Wade in the water, wade in the water, children. Wade in the water, God's gonna trouble the water. See that host all dressed in white, God's gonna trouble the water. The leader looks like an Israelite, God's gonna trouble the water. Wade in the water, wade in the water, children. Wade in the water, God's gonna trouble the water. Not only does this song speak to what happened through the nation of Israel, and how God troubled the waters to reveal to Pharaoh that he was the king who was on the throne. But it also speaks to freedom to be experienced by those fellow slaves that would hear that psalm because Wade in the Water is a secret message calling those who are seeking out freedom to go towards the water, and the water will lead them north. The water will lead them to the Underground Railroad so that they could taste of freedom now because here's the invitation for freedom. Yes, we recognize it's a freedom to come, but God desires for you to experience freedom right here and right now. The invitation is always for here and what is to come. But also what's interesting about this as that invitation of waiting in the water, I'm reminded of what Jesus said, that those who drink of him will never go thirsty again. And so they're singing that true freedom is found in the person of Jesus where no one thirsts and all is offered a drink of freedom if they're willing to take it. Because he draws us out, to draw us in. Verse 14. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua if you guys are about to have a baby, Shifra and Pua would be great names, y'all. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, that's a strong word, everybody. So however does this crazy thing. It's like, hey, take in in what was before this moment. But we're going to see that a response is going to happen that you didn't think would happen. And so Pharaoh said, kill the baby boys, but these midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. When determining who to follow, follow the one with the crown. Let me say that again in case you fell asleep because you didn't get your coffee because we're not making coffee in this pandemic. Let me say it again. When you are trying to align your life and you are trying to take the next best step, make sure you fix your eyes on the one who has the crown. Not the crown of a little kingdom kind of a God, but I'm talking about the one who sits on the throne, who reigns and rules over the kingdom. When you are determining what your next step should look like, fix your eyes on the king and follow in his footsteps. Now, here's the thing. We we, we hear that and we go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Guys, that's a difficult posture to live in. That is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. But remember that God has put his very spirit within you to walk out his ways and to live as he lived and to love as he loved. And so when determining what to follow, follow the one with the crown. Let us not be a people that settle for lesser kingdoms because that doesn't bring life. That doesn't bring abundance, and that is not what you have been called to. And so I get it. It's difficult. It will cost you something, and it does, but I will tell you this. In order for us to walk in that way is it costs the king of kings and the Lord of lords his life so that you can follow in his footsteps. So let us be a people that look for the crown and align our steps with what the king is doing. It is a better way to live. Fix your eyes on the king and go and do likewise. That's what these midwives did. They said, "You know what, Pharaoh? See, your kingdom is really small. And I could, I could, you know, follow along with your little kingdom, but that is not what's best. And so I'm going to choose to follow the one with the crown. No matter the cost, no matter the path, because it's a worthwhile way to live. And I love as we peel back how this early church got started in the book of Acts. We see Peter and John, they were following the ways of their king. They were living for the big K kingdom, not the little K kingdom. And they determined to align their lives with the king of the big K kingdom, not the little K kingdom. And they said, we're going to follow him no matter what, because it's a better way to walk. But they found themselves in trouble. Can I say this? If you truly align your life after Jesus, you will probably find yourself in trouble. But it's a good trouble. And so they were brought in front of the Sanhedrin because they are changing lives and spreading the gospel, and there were a people that did not like that because it was going to take away from their power. And so in Acts chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, And they, were called, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. These guys had a holy confidence in their king. They were willing to have a civil disobedience. They said, you know what? I hear what you're saying, but I have to follow in the steps of my king. And that's the invitation that God has given to his bride, the church, to follow me, love how I love, live how I live, and continue to be a conduit of freedom for all those who are around you. That's the invitation, verse 18. Then the king of Egypt... Summon the midwives and ask them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. For those who have experienced childbirth, don't you wish it was a quick experience? Some of you are looking at your kids right now and being like, you took 28 hours. And you going to say no to me, I will trip you, right? I mean... Verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. Look, this offering that the midwives put in the hands of the king, he multiplied. See, God's been into new math for a long, long time. He's not just about addition, he's about multiplication and so when we are willing to walk in obedience, can I just tell you that God multiplies that. And the rippling effects of that are far greater than what we could do on our own. And I love how it says he was kind to the midwives and that they increased and became even more numerous. Verse 21, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Man, what an extreme, crazy act by Pharaoh. Throw them into the Nile. Pharaoh was so desperate to hold on to his power that he was willing to do whatever it took to hold on to it. As I've been reading this passage and just been sitting with the Lord and just saying, all right, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what needs to be revealed so I can walk this out and share this with my friends. This question kept coming to my mind. God, why would you use Shifra and Pua? They were just Hebrew midwives. They don't seem like people you would use in order to continue this gospel from penetrating all time. Like, why would you use Shifra and Pua? I mean, they're, they are just nobodies really in the scale of, of this narrative. Why would you use them? It just really doesn't make any sense to me. And sometimes when I ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom and he gives it to me, I don't like it. And this was one of those moments because he said, hey, Nick, um, I want you to understand that the problem is with your question." He said, You keep asking me why I would use someone like Shifra and Pua, who are just Hebrew midwives. I want you to understand something that I didn't put the just there, you did. Because, Nick, when I see Shifra and Pua, I call them by name. Because I recognize that everything I make is beautifully and wonderfully made, and there is no less than in the kingdom of God. I was like, well, okay, if that's how you want to come at a brother, Holy Spirit, that's fine. There is no one who is less than in the kingdom of God. I want you to sit with that for a moment. There is no one who is less than in the kingdom of God. I'm going to say something that you might not want to hear. That means that when you look in the mirror, guess what? You're not less than. And some of you will look in the mirror and go, hey, God, if you only knew, God, all the ways I have fallen short, I know that I am less than. But let me just remind you right here and right now that God doesn't make less than. He calls you by name. He gives you purpose. And you are beautifully and wonderfully made. And what you have done and your actions do not change the way that God sees you and the calling and the worth of your life. See, God made up his mind on you before you did anything. He said, you are mine. I'm calling you home. If you only accept my invitation to sit at my table and to be who you were created to be, you would live differently. And I believe that sometimes we have a hard time treating others with value and worth because when we look in the mirror, we don't even give ourselves value and worth. And there are times because we don't believe what is true about ourselves, it is an impossible undertaking to believe that about others. But listen, let me say to you right where you are, you are not less than. And here's the other amazing thing that God has allowed us to do. When we get that we are not less than, then we begin to see others through the lens of that gospel. That's when we as a church, as we walk into this identity that God has given us, we recognize that those around us are not less than either. Even if they have less money in the bank, even if their hue of skin is not like our hue of skin, even if their culture is different than our culture, we appreciate the beauty of the differences, but we recognize that ultimately the thing that unites us all is far greater than anything that could separate us. And we recognize that we have all been called by name to dine at the table of a king. So if you dine at the table of a king and I dine at the table of a king. So that means you're my brother and you're my sister and we have called to dwell as a family. I'm telling you if we as the bride of Christ could walk this thing out in that way, that's heaven intersecting earth. And let me remind you of this. Let, us, let me remind us of this in case you forgot this. Maybe sometimes I forget this. Like If you said yes to Jesus, you have the spirit of a king within you. With that being said, wherever you go, whoever you around is heaven intersecting earth because you have the spirit of a living God in you. So as we carry this hope in jars of clay, Let us be a people that say, you have value, you have value, you have value, you are worthwhile because God says you're worthwhile and he gave his son for you as he gave it for me so we can walk this thing out and we can give off the aroma of Jesus if we get this right. And that aroma is like fresh baked cookies that calls people in. People want to know, what is that? I want some of that. And that is the kingdom of God being who the kingdom of God has been called to be. I'm telling you this right now, that's my hope. That is worth giving my life for, to tell people and be reminded myself that the king allows me to sit at his table. I want you to sit at his table too. And I'm getting to a place in my life where I'm not going to let what I see on the outside interfere with whom people are. And if we as a people of God are able to live this thing called the gospel out, I'm telling you that's the world changing. It is time, my brothers and my sisters, for us to see people the way that God sees us. And for us to invite those around us, it doesn't matter who they are, to taste of freedom and to dine at the table of a king. And we got to get past of looking in the mirror and going, hey, I'm less than. No, you are not because of what God says about you. And we get the opportunity and the calling to do as our king has done. We go and do likewise. Hear me. If you have said yes to the invitation from a king, you are called a Christian, which means little Christ which means that you are God's ambassador. God is making his appeal to a broken and depraved generation through the way you live and you love. So we get to go and do likewise. So let us be a people that go and do likewise. Let us fix our eyes on the king. Let us not be a people that make excuses and tell God why we can't do the very thing he's called us to do. There are times where we go, man, God, I feel you calling me to do this, but I need to pray about it. Can I just tell you something? I think sometimes we as the people of God use prayer as an excuse instead of to continue to walk in what God's called us to do. Let me give you an example. You're like, oh, Nick, that was strong. It was, but let me explain to you what I mean. Sometimes we'll look at people in need and we have the means to fill that need and we'll go, Lord, let me pray about it. Can I just tell you something? God's already told you what to do. Go do it. Well, you know, I know, God, you said that you love all people, even those who are far from you, but ah, they're hard to love. No, you go and love them. But God, they don't believe like me, they don't act like me, and they don't look like me, and so I really don't want to do that because that's inconvenient and that's uncomfortable. Well, let me just go ahead and be real with you. When Jesus surrendered his life on a cross, that was uncomfortable, but it was worth it. Let us not be a people that continue to make excuses to walk in disobedience. Let us be a people that model our lives after the king and go and do likewise. In Luke chapter six, verse 35, it says this. But love your enemies. Let's pause right there. Love my enemies. Love those people who are mean to me. Love those people who are nice to me. Love my neighbor who yells at me all the time for walking on his grass. Love him. Yeah, love him. Why? Well, because Jesus loved you. Do good to them? So wait, 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 wait. You're telling me I need to love the person and do good to them even though they have done wrong to me? Yep. Nick, where do you get that from? I'm just looking at the life of Jesus. That's what he did. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back? Wait a second. You mean that my treasures I share? Oh, easy there, Jesus. Easy. Easy. You mean everything I have should be surrendered to you? And I say, yes, why? Because Jesus multiplies whatever is given to him. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Go and do likewise. The question we are going to have to wrestle with today, tomorrow, and the days to come is what step can I take this week to be a conduit of freedom? What step can I take this week to be a voice to those who don't have one? What step can I take this week to continue to allow the kingdom of God to intersect this world wherever I am? What step do you want me to take, Jesus, and I'm willing to do it? And the reason I'm willing to do it is because you paid a high price for me and I'm just responding to your goodness with my life. That is worship. I don't know what that step is like for you. But the Lord is inviting you to play a part at allowing roses to continue to break through the cracks of the concrete of sin and oppression. How are you gonna help water those those roses those beautiful creations how are you going to join in the work of the kingdom right here and right now and see maybe you're having a hard time answering that question is because you have never tasted of true freedom that only comes from the king and so where you are right here and right now I want to invite you to bow your heads Maybe you are sitting in this place and you have heard of this freedom and you've heard of this king, but you thought that maybe you were too far gone because you are just filling the blank. But maybe, just maybe, you have been reminded that nobody puts just in front of yourself except for you and others. God never did. God has given you an invitation that He sealed with His life, broken on a cross. And his life that was resurrected from the grave. So right here and right now, if you want to say yes to the ultimate freedom, you can do that right here, right now, by saying something like this. Dear God, I don't understand it all and nobody does. But the best way I know how I say yes to the freedom that Jesus offers I recognized that he was sent from his father and he lived perfectly for 33 years, something that I could not do. And then, to win me back and pay a price that I could not pay, he surrendered his life on a cross. And three days later, after tasting of death, he got up and he was fully alive, overcoming sin and death. And through his completed work of his gospel and his life, I'm invited to overcome death as well. And I say yes. And I take my seat at his table as his son or his daughter, and I will continue to drink from freedom's cup. I say yes. If that is you right here and right now on the authority of God's word, not Nick's opinion, you are a son or a daughter Of the king. That means that you sit at his table and you become as one of his family. You are free indeed. The shackles are gone because of the keys that Jesus held. He used them to redeem you. And if you said yes to that, you are a son or a daughter of the king, and there's nothing anybody can do. Maybe you find yourself in a place that you have said yes to this freedom ultimately, but yet you are still living in the bondage of a secret sin or something that has easily entangled you. And maybe today is the day where you bring those shackles to light. Because anything kept in darkness has power over you and you are enslaved to it. But when you bring it into the light of the gospel, it loses its power maybe that's your step you take into freedom today or maybe your step your step you take today is to encourage those around you and invite others to sit at the table with you of the king my prayer for you is that you will take a step and that you will taste and see that the lord is good and that freedom is offered in full to you right here and right now dear jesus Thank you that you're in the business of allowing roses to grow from concrete. May we be reminded that you are a really, really good gardener and that you can do what no one else can do. Father, thank you for that. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. May we walk from here just responding to your love with the way we live our lives. And we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name, amen.